Welcome to the Record of Our Forebears podcast. I'm your host, as always, Roland Godet, and with me today again. Oh, yes, is uh, Summer Godet. And on the Record of Our Forebears, we discuss the stories of some of the dopest black folks that you may or may not have heard of. So grab a pen, some paper, and get ready to learn something new. This episode, we are going to be discussing the Grimkes, mm. Francis J. Grimke and Charlotte Fortin Grimke. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So I'm going to start this one off with a quote. Okay. So this is a quote from Francis Grimke. Christianity is not clay in the hands of the world spirit to be molded by it, but is itself to be the molder of public sentiment and everything else. Ooh. So. <laughs> That's heavy. Yeah. Francis Grimke. I mean, Francis Grimke was that guy. Just thinking about some things today. Yeah, I Fran- mean. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Francis Grimke was that guy. So he was born on November 4th, 1850 in Charleston, South Carolina. His mother, Nancy Weston, was enslaved. And his father was a wealthy landowner named Henry Grimke. Yeah. Mm. So apparently, and obviously we know that. I'm looking at you. My eyebrows are raised. Mm, Okay. So we know. So apparently the story goes that Henry Grimke uh, was married to a white woman. Okay. um, And she died. He had children with her. She died. And after she died later on, he and Nancy Weston began a relationship. And they were living in Charleston. And in order to continue their relationship without too much drama from, you know, the upper classes Mm -hmm. of uh, Southern society, because the Grimkes were a Mm well-known planter family Mm -hmm. in the South, in South Carolina. They actually moved to a farm so that they could have some seclusion to themselves. Mm -hmm. Like they actually. So the story is they actually were in a relationship. Okay. Okay. Um, He ended up having three children with Nancy. Um, Archibald Grimke, the oldest, Francis Grimke, the middle, and the youngest, John. Okay. So Francis Grimke's father died in 1852, but on his deathbed, he willed uh, the ownership of Francis, Francis's mother, and uh, Francis and his brothers to his oldest son, from his first marriage, mm-hmm. Montague. Okay. He told his older son, Montague, as he was dying, to treat them as as if they were free. I'm you, just you know, looking at you right now right. like... Mm. Now, you could free them, but he didn't do that. He wanted them to be treated as free. And a, a lot of... So, it could be convoluted, but a lot of times when that happened... They were looking at it like if they were free in South Carolina, it could be dangerous for them because they could get kidnapped and re-enslaved. Yes. So by keeping them as slaves, people won't bother them because they know that they belong to me. Yes. But who knows exactly what he was thinking. But he did will to his son that, yes, you have ownership of them, but you need to treat them as free. Okay. And for a while that happened. You know, 
they actually were allowed to live in relative freedom. Mm, okay. Um, until about 1860. And that's when Montague, Montague tried to bring him into his house as servants for his wife. So they had been living free for eight years. Wow. You know, essentially just, you know, Montague didn't give them any money or anything, but mm-hmm. they were like, you know, able to come and go as they pleased. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. You know, just in, as much as you can in, you know, antebellum South enjoying themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and he just was like, no, nah, I own y'all. So now y'all come into my house as servants. Wow. Um, not too long after that, Francis got a severe beating. And he was not, he wasn't with that. Francis was not with that. And he oh. left. He ran away. Yes, because essentially he was being raised as a free mm-hmm. person. So, and, and now you want to enslave me. Right. And it was apparent that his father had, didn't, you know, wasn't violent towards yes. them. And so now you're trying to bring me back into the house after I've been living free, essentially, for my whole life. Oh, yeah, it's he time was, to go. He was like eight years old. Yeah, yeah. Or like 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I'm out. And so he ran away. He actually ran away and um, became a valet for a Confederate um, officer. Okay. Um, the Confederate officer worked at like a jail for Union soldiers, mm-hmm. you know, for POWs. And a valet essentially was just like an assistant. He just, you know, like a gopher. Okay. Go getting stuff for him. And wow. so he was actually on the run for two years before he finally got recaptured. Um, they put him in jail and then they returned him to his half brother. Who then in turn sold him to another Confederate officer. Oh, gosh. He's like, oh, you know how to do that? I'm going to make money off of you either way. (laughs) So. And so he remained with that Confederate officer until Charleston fell. Okay. um, Into the Union Army. And at that point, he was free. Um, So as the Civil War came to an end, Northern Abolitionist Societies began establishing freedmen schools. All over the place, all over the mm-hmm. South, to educate the newly emancipated slaves. Now, we know from well, when we talked about Alexander, uh, Daniel Alexander Payne, that he had a school mm-hmm. in, South in South Carolina to educate slaves. But they made that law that basically made he had to close his schools. Mm-hmm. So when the war was over, slaves came back down or uh, abolitionists came down to establish new freedmen schools to educate them. Okay. So Francis and his brothers actually attended a school called the Moore Street School. But it was apparent that the Grimke brothers were already pretty advanced in their education because their father and mother had taught them to read, mm-hmm. had taught them to read and to write. And so they already were pretty advanced in in their education. So what happened was they gained some support from from the abolitionist societies to send them north to gain like higher education. Okay. And so they ended up going to uh, a school called Lincoln University. And that school was actually, it's actually an HBCU. And it was founded by a Presbyterian minister and his wife in 1854, Mm -hmm. specifically to educate, to give blacks higher education because there was no opportunities for them. Mm -hmm. And so um, while they were attending uh, Lincoln University, Archibald Grimke, the older brother, Mm -hmm. um, he gave a speech and it got a lot of press in the abolitionist newspapers at mm. the time. And a very prominent anti-slavery and women's rights activist, Angelina Grimke, <laughs> noticed Archibald's familiar surname and she reached out to him. This is crazy. This is a crazy part of the story. Okay. So Angelina Grimke is Henry Grimke's brother. Henry Grimke, the father of Archibald and Francis. Mm-hmm. She reached out and she learned that 
these young black men, Archibald, Francis, and John Grimke, were her nephews. Mm. And so from that point on, she paid for their college. She opened up their home for them, wow. uh, to them, and she supported them, her wow. and her sister, Sarah Grimke. And the, the Sarah and Angelina Grimke are well-known abolitionists mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and women's rights activists. And so they, Francis Grimke and Archibald Grimke and John Grimke were related to them. So even from like this part, it, it makes me think about how, yes, going back to the relationship since they weren't married, you mm-hmm. know, of like, OK, maybe they were in love. And so because you can see the dynamics of the other family members, right, right extended family members who were against uh, slavery mm-hmm. and um, racism. So, yeah. Right, yeah. So Francis graduated from Lincoln University in 1870, mm-hmm. and he attended Howard University in Washington, D.C., and he was studying law in Howard. Wow. But while he was there, he felt that the Lord was calling him to become a minister. So he only stayed at Howard for about a year, and he, he enrolled in uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. Okay. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Princeton Theological yeah, Seminary. Princeton Theological <laughs> Seminary. And he actually studied under, uh, you know, if you know church history, the great Charles Hodge. Mm. Yeah, so he studied under Charles Hodge there at the uh, Princeton Theological Seminary and graduated in 1878 and became the minister at the 15th Street Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. Wow. Still around. Wow. Historic church. Mm-hmm. Um, and in December of that same year, 1878, what did I say, 1873? I'm sorry. 1878 is when he graduated. Mm-hmm. So in December of 1878 is when he met a woman named Charlotte Fortin. And they, be, they got married. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte Fortin, I'll just give a brief, <laughs> just a brief history about her. And then I'll let you give a little bit more information. So Charlotte Fortin was the granddaughter of an influential abolitionist and activist. The granddaughter, sorry, of influential abolitionist and activist James Fortin. Mm-hmm. So basically, Charlotte and Francis Grimke became like a... a for lack of a better term, like an abolitionist power couple. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking, like a yeah. powerhouse. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you want to go ahead and read something about Francis before I can, or excuse me, about Charlotte before I continue? Oh, but yeah, sure. Okay, cool. So, thank you for that introduction, Roland. <laughs> I'm about Charlotte Fortin Grimke. Um, and I want to share another quote um, again here from Charlotte. Let me not forget again that I came not here for friendly sympathy or for anything else but to work and to work hard. Let me do that faithfully and well. Now, this was a quote that was written in her journal after she arrived in South Carolina to teach the freedmen. Again, what you were talking about, um, those schools that were opened um, to uh, black Americans there. Now, Charlotte Fortin Grimke was born Charlotte Louise Fortin on August 17th, 1837 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to Mary Wood Fortin and Robert M. Fortin. She was born free. She was born into a family of anti-slavery activists. So again, Mm -hmm. we just heard about her grandfather, right? Her grandparents, James Sr. and Charlotte hosted leading black and white abolitionists in their homes on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. James Fortin Sr. was one of the wealthiest blacks in Philadelphia, having amassed a fortune in the sale making business. Mm -hmm. Her parents, Robert and Mary Fortin, uh, continued 
the family's activist tradition. Now, Charlotte's father was a member of the Philadelphia Vigilance Committee, which I've never heard of this committee before, um, which was an anti-slavery network that provided aid um, to people who escaped slavery. Mm -hmm. Now, I do know about the Underground Railroad, right? Part of Underground Railroad. So they were a part of that. Now, her parent, her aunts, Sarah, Harriet, and Margareta uh, Fortin, they helped establish the Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society in 1833. Wow, never heard of them. The society, this was a local chapter affiliated with the American Anti-Slavery Society created uh, by famed abolitionist William Lord Lloyd Garrison. Mm-hmm. We know that name, right? Yep. The, P- the Liberator. The Liberator, mm-hmm. right? The PFASS uh, was formed because of the inability of women to become members of the Garrison All Male Organization, mm-hmm. uh, Abolitionist Organization. So, again, we, when we're talking about the women who are um, standing on their faith, um, they have the braveness and the audacity from their faith, mm-hmm. and they to have an additional fight, right? Yep. Um, because not only are they minorities, are they p- people of color, they're women. Yep. And so, wow. again, That's it's crazy. like they another layer, right? Yeah, they wouldn't let them join? That's why. No. You would think that they would let them join because they have a similar fight right, and a similar cause. But, but everybody, even white women, we know they were like, not yet. Like, not mm-hmm. yet, not yet, not yet. Like, yep. hold on, let's yeah. get, let's do one thing at a time. When you do see a lot of um, black female abolitionists, um, especially these Christians, they're like, no, the time is now. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was just a really big thing for them to say, OK, William Lloyd Garrison, we're going to start our own. Yep. Um, and we don't need your group. Um, and so Grimke, she spent much of her youth in Salem, Massachusetts. We know about that um, <laughs> infamous place um, where she was well educated. And she eventually again, here we go, became a teacher. Mm. Now, in in fact, when Grimke was hired by the Epps, is that my pronouncing that right? Epps, uh, um, Epps, I think it's Epps. Uh, grammar school in Salem, she became the first black person hired to teach white students in the city. Wow. Now, Grimke uh, became a member of the Salem Female Anti-Slavery Society, helping um, in fundraising efforts. And she was a leading figure on civil rights during her time. Now, because of her family's long history, as you talked about before, Roland, and anti-slavery activism, um, she was able to arrange for lectures by prominent speakers and writers, including, here's a name that we should know, Mm -hmm. Ralph Waldo Emerson Mm. and Senator Charles Sumner. Oh, yeah. So Charles Sumner, you know, Charles Sumner was the guy who gave uh, the speech in Congress that got the the Southerners so angry that Preston Brooks from South Carolina beat him. That he got beat up. Half the he got beat up. So Charles Sumner was a, he was he was one of them guys too. Yeah. Like he was he spoke his mind. Mm-hmm. And so okay. And Ralph Waldo That's, Emerson. Yeah, Ralph Who was this was person? A, yeah, Ralph, he's a literary giant. Yes. Yeah, in the United States. Yep. So um, so again, they were able to come, and she was able to have them come in and speak and provide lectures. Um, Grimke, she was also acquainted with many other anti-slavery uh, proponents, including, of course, we know William Lloyd Garrison, um, and the orators and activists. Wendell Phillips, hmm. Maria Western Chapman, and hmm. William Bell Wells Brown. Oh, wow. Now, during the American Civil War, uh, Grimke was the first black teacher to join the mission 
to South Carolina Sea Islands, known as the Port Royal Experiment. Now, the union allowed northerners to set up schools to begin teaching freedmen who remained on the islands after the enslavers abandoned the plantations um, as northern troops approached. Mm. Now, she chronicled her time um, in essays, and those essays were called, quote, Life on the Sea Islands. Unquote. Life on the Sea Islands. And so, you know, you and I talked about that. Now, of course, we know that um, there were there was already a school down there in South Carolina before, mm-hmm. you know, those laws were um, imposed that would pull those schools away. But um, we talked about before how we're thinking about South Carolina, thinking about those islands and mm-hmm. those people who were enslaved, mm-hmm. who were there um, and remained there um, Thinking about the Gullah Geechee people, yep. right? Yep. Um, as well, which is another great group. I know I I didn't learn about them until I watched the famous yes Children's Network. Yep. Gullah Gullah um, Island. I learned about Gullah Gullah Island, and yep. and then you know as we became adults, understanding the importance of those people there. Um, of course. So while in South Carolina, Grimke became friends with Robert Shaw. He was the commander of the All Black Fifty Fourth Massachusetts Regiment. Yeah, so if you've seen the movie Glory. Glory, Glory, Robert yes. Robert Shaw was the character that was played by Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick, yep, with um, Denzel so, Washington yep. in Glory. Now, she was present when the 54th Storm Fort Wagner on the night of July 18th, 1863, and Shaw was killed. Mm. He was killed in battle, yep. and Grimke volunteered as a nurse. So here we go, wow. nurse, to aid the surviving members of that 54th um, re- regiment. Mm. Now, um, in December 1878, she married Presbyterian minister. Here we go. Francis J. Grimke, uh, pastor of the prominent 15th Street Presbyterian Church in Washington, mm. D.C., of course, which you shared, Roland, earlier, still there today. Mm. Now, Charlotte Ford Grimke assisted her husband in his ministry, helping to create important networks yeah. um, in the community that provided charity and education. Um, and and here we go. Some familiar names here in 1892. Grimke, Ida B. Wells, Barnett, Mary Church Terrell. Mm-hmm. You don't know who this person oh, is. Yeah, get familiar with Mary get Church Get familiar. And others, they formed the Colored Women's League in Washington, D.C. Now, the goals of that club were to promote unity, social progress, and the best interests of the African-American community. And in 1896, um, Ford and she also assisted in starting the National Association of Colored Women. Now, she stayed active until her death in July 23rd, 1914, on July 23rd, 1914. Her life and the work that she accomplished displayed her desire for freedom and justice for the oppressed. Now, she worked tirelessly to uh, to educate the youth, mm-hmm. and she used her unique position um, as a part of two of the most prominent families um, uh, in anti-slavery and anti-racism movement, um, the Fortin family and the Grimkeys, um, to continue to work for civil rights for um, black folks. And um, she has another uh, piece of writing here that, that I do want to share this okay. too. Um, may those whose holy task it is to guide impulsive youth fail not to cherish their souls a reverence for truth, for teachings which the lips impart must have their source within the heart. Charlotte Fortin Grimke. Yeah, so uh, Charlotte 
Grimke and and James, uh, sorry, Francis uh, James Grimke were just in, incredible. Like just an incredible couple. Individually, they were incredible, mm-hmm. and then together, they just continued that, um, just continued that work. You know, to to against. Uh, by the time they were married, slavery was over. But mm-hmm. the anti-racism work, the women's rights. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Francis Grimke actually started to become to speak out more on women's rights because of his wife and her mm. uh, her passion for women's rights. So she added a, a, a different dimension to to the things that he was speaking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that uh, that I think is important is. Let me put it this way. So the thing about Francis Grimke was that he did not think the church should be hidden away, afraid to address the culture and afraid to address controversial issues in the society. Mm. That's good. He believed it was a duty of the Christian to not only to not only to have sound theological orthodoxy, but the way the way it the way he described it was. The, or, the orthodoxy of creed should lead to orthopraxy of deed. Mm. In other words, practice what you preach. Mm-hmm. And his life kind of stands uh, as an example of how to hold two things in tension, right? Engaging in the affairs of the world and faithfully serving the people of God. He served at 15 uh, Street Presbyterian Church for six decades. And he served during like some of the most tumultuous times in the United States from Reconstruction, which is the period directly after the Civil War, when the South was trying to be rebuilt and Mm -hmm. millions of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people had died in battle. And he served from that period of time all the way through the post-World War One period. Wow. Like that is, Mm -hmm. I mean, through Jim Crow, through Mm -hmm. through world, through the Great War. You know, at the time known as the Great War, because mm-hmm. nobody knew another one was coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and during this time, not only did he serve the people at the church for 60 years, he helped found the NAACP. He served as a trustee at Howard University and created more educational opportunities for black folks. He worked to improve race relations and he spoke out forcefully against the racial violence and he encouraged women's suffrage. So he was not afraid to speak out mm-hmm. against, you know, what was going on in the culture, while at the same time being a faithful pastor, mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, the word of God and salvation from sin was ultimately the you know the most important thing. Mm-hmm. But that should lead you to want society to be improved, mm-hmm. too, for people to flourish. That's good. So I'm gonna read a small excerpt from a sermon that he wrote. I'm going to try to get through it quickly. Sermon that he wrote. And, you know, we talked about this, how titles back in the day, they tell you exactly what it's about. (laughs) Yes. So the the sermon was titled Discouragements, Hostilities of the Press, Silence and Cowardice of the Pulpit. So. And this is what he preached in this sermon. There are nearly 100,000 white ministers in this country. According to their own profession, they are God's representatives. And the function of the ministry as set forth in God's word is to cry aloud and spare not. It is to lift up a standard for the people. And yet, as a matter of fact, 
It is the rarest thing in the world to hear a word from these pulpits against the terrible crimes which are being perpetrated in this land against the Negro. Whether this is the result of cowardice, the fear of offending those to whom they minister and upon whom they are dependent for their bread and butter, or whether it is because they see nothing to condemn, they think the Negro is receiving just what he deserves, or whether it is a result of indifference, I do not know. I simply note the fact. This much may be said, however, that they are not silent on other matters. We hear a great deal from these same pulpits about the liquor traffic, about gambling, about the Sabbath de uh, desecration, about the suffering of the Armenians. When the question of suppressing polygamy in Utah was up, they had a great deal to say. When the question was up about suppressing the Louisiana lottery, they also had a great deal to say. The land echoed with the sound of clerical voices. But when it comes to Southern brutality, to the killing of Negroes, and to the, and to the despoiling them of their civil and political rights, they are, to borrow an expression from Isaiah, dumb dogs that cannot bark. Oof. Wow. A lot of his sermons were scathing just <laughs> like that. And he was not afraid. Even in his time at the, you know, we saw people during that time like be beaten, assaulted, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. killed for speaking like that. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I'm I'm not gonna be silent mm -hmm, on this. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, Francis Grimke was an incredible dude. Wow. So um on October eleventh, nineteen thirty seven, so many years after his wife died, um, at the age of eighty six years old, he did pass away. Mm, okay. Um Yeah, Francis Grimke and, and Charlie Grimke, like just incredible. Yeah. yeah. Powerhouse. Yeah. You just think about a powerhouse. Yeah. Um it, <laughs> I mean, even that one excerpt just it's so powerful and it's gut punching and it's just kinda like it 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 seems like again we're talking about the foundations, um, or the shoulders of the giants. Like I'm thinking about um Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and that letter you know, from Birmingham jail. Mm -hmm. And he's like calling out again to the white clergy. Where are you? Mm. You know, where are you? My, my white Christian uh, brothers. Right. Um, so yeah. Wow. 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 So good. So good. So much information that's so yep. important for us to know. Um, especially because, you know, we talked about it before as we even talked about it. With BT, how we have to go and learn this information for ourselves because it's not it's not it's not given to us. Yep. It's not given to us. Um, but it is available. It, but though. it's available. So we have to go get it. We yeah. have to go take it. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, because a lot of it is not we're not getting this um, in our schoolhouses. Or, so yeah. but it's very important. And because we can see this continued fight that's been going on for hundreds of years um, in our country and worldwide. So, yeah, yeah these these two are amazing. So yeah. if you don't know the Grimkeys, get to know them. Get familiar mm -hmm. with Charlotte Gordon Grimke and Francis James Grimke. Yes. And thank you once again for joining us on the Record of Our Forebears podcast. Uh, we look forward to coming to you again with some more dope black folks that you know, you may or may not have heard of. Yes. Thank you so much. And until next time. Peace.